And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm Snowden Bishop. Thank you for joining us. Wherever you are, I hope you're safe as you shelter in place. It's been such a devastating week of losses, and the numbers are just impossible to comprehend, especially when you think that every number is a precious soul, someone's loved one who will be sorely missed. Like everyone I know, my heart is just bleeding for the people that they've left behind. This hit home for the cannabis community when a little girl by the name of Charlotte lost her life to coronavirus. It was her extraordinary journey that really helped to galvanize the movement to legalize medical cannabis in multiple states. Her parents were forced to move to Colorado where they could legally purchase CBD, but she needed to treat seizures. And since then, the medicine that was created in her name, Charlotte's Web has helped so many other children lead healthier lives. We're embracing our family in love, light, and healing prayers, and it's certainly our hope that they can find peace in knowing that their daughter's legacy is something all of us in this industry will appreciate forever. You know, I've been searching for a glimmer of hope that some good can come out of so much devastation. I mean, despite the frustration of forced isolation, the time alone has actually provided a space for some long overdue quiet reflection. And strangely, I found myself filled with gratitude for having the time to contemplate the things I'm often too busy to even consider, such as the delicate balance of nature and how that impacts our health on so many levels. The emergence of COVID-19 didn't happen by accident. And it seems that it's more of a symptom of an imbalance that we humans may have caused. I mean, somehow we've been so distracted by life that we failed to recognize how our contributions to the Earth's imbalance makes us vulnerable to, if not partly to blame for, cataclysmic events that threaten our own survival. We come from the Earth, we live of the Earth, and we return to the Earth. And in nature, plants draw minerals and nutrients from the soil. They drop leaves, which decay and enrich the soil with microbiotics and humeric acids. And under the canopy of the mature plant, the enriched soil becomes fertile ground for new seedlings to take root. When the plants die, they return to the earth, replenish the soil for new plants, which mature by drawing the replenished soil to repeat the cycle. That's a process of entropy, which has naturally occurred since the first vegetation appeared on Earth. Everything we consume, from the food that nourishes our body to the medicine we take to stay healthy, is the end result of what we put into and take from the Earth. Ever since the Industrial Revolution, humans have really interrupted that delicate balance. With deforestation, indiscriminate waste, overuse of fossil fuels, and unsustainable agriculture that pollutes our waterways, we've done a lot of damage. And that explains why there's so much disease. It also explains why minimizing contaminants at every stage of growth from soil to canopy is crucial for our food security 
and generally public health. That's the topic of today's show and something our guest Dino Changanaki knows a lot about. Known as the happy plant guy, Dino is a designer of custom blended organic fertilizers and insecticides specifically for the developmental needs of plants, including cannabis. As a consultant, he's given lectures on the importance and benefits of consuming nutrient-dense organic foods grown in mineral-rich organic soil. His efforts expanded awareness and the power of self-healing for those in recovery of cancer especially. He's donated his line of plant nutrients to help nonprofits such as Enrich LA establish more than 60 school gardens and has sponsored community gardens for the local VA hospital to help veterans in managing their PTSD through gardening. Dino, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you could join me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, I'm intrigued by your background and just so that our audience gets a feel for how you got the moniker, the happy plant guy, and why you're doing what you do. Tell me just a little bit about yourself. I've been helping people grow plants for a very, very long time. And when I started the company, Amal Gold Nutrients, that's my fertilizer company, the ability to get any kind of a organic fertilizers it was kind of mishmash and I was helping people that were growing in the cannabis space to come up with formulations. So I would ask them what they wanted or they'd ask me, Hey, can you make this? Can you make that? And we started with a very simple uh, program, uh, amino acids, proteins, and then it grew from there from, you know, one product, two products. And then all of a sudden you'd have, a soil digester, a veg formula, a bloom formula, a bloom supercharger, and a calcium magnesium product. So five elements to grow. Why? Because it didn't exist. You couldn't get that in anything other than the synthetic fertilizer version of it. So the plants that my clients were growing were the most amazing looking, the most amazing flavor, uh, as they say, incredible nose because the plants were able to absorb these organic inputs that were easily identifiable and absorbable by the plants. So they had the happiest plants out there. So they started calling me the happy plant guy because <laughs> they had happy plants. And that's hilarious. And, and that wasn't anything I could find in my research. So thank you for sharing that. It really explains it. I, I have been researching and talking with people about the problem of soil and the substrates that plants are being grown in. And this is particularly a problem for the cannabis industry because if people are getting their products in the wrong place or they're, they're using the wrong materials found to be contaminated, such as the cocoa core substrates, and they're finding mold, they're spraying these plants with fungicide, which is causing another whole problem. And they're not evident when you're talking about like cannabis pre-rolls and they'll show up in a COA if they're testing for it, but it's still a, a huge problem. So give me a little background. You've been studying this as well and you're, I'm sure, quite aware of this. Am I right about that? 100% uh, because I have 
grown clones for clients. I make nutrients for my clients. I have even been on the other end of it where they're asking me for, you know, uh, ideas on distribution on channels in order to move their product. And my, my goal has always been the best medicine available, best medicine possible. And in order to go ahead and get the very best medicine possible, you have to make sure that all your inputs, whether you're talking about the coconut core, whether you're talking about the nutrients, whether you're talking about how you're finishing, how you're drying, all of these components, if you're not conscious of every aspect of it, you'll end up with problematic uh, finished products. So if you're looking at the coconut core aspect, we did a deep dive testing everything out there. And what kept popping up was problems with uh, fusarium and pythium, which if you're in the growing game, you know, leads to powdery mildew, it leads to root rot, uh, root mush. And I'd have these phone calls come in from my clients and they'd ask me, Dino, do you have something for this? And I would ask him, what is the this that you're having? And they would tell me, describe it. And I would produce something to counteract that. So I have a insecticide. I have a uh, root uh, insecticide that all organic, you put it on, the bad stuff goes away. But there was always the caveat. You do not put it on anything before you're looking at the intermediary phase going into your bloom because it would end up on your flowers. And if it ends up on the flowers, then it contaminates the end product because the cannabis plant is an absorptive plant. So anything that you're putting in at different stages gets sucked right through the roots, right into the plant. You don't want anything that's going to create a problem with the medicine that you're producing. So that is the reason why we are doing this research. We come to find that there is these problems endemic within the substrates and the clients that I would go visit. It wasn't just one guy because it was like this STD, this, you know, herpes, whatever you want to call it, that their main guy that was making their soil or one of the components of their soil supplied 50 other guys or a hundred other guys. And then all those hundred guys would end up with the same kind of problem. Uh, Fusarium, pythium, uh, <laughs> blooms. And all of a sudden they'd be asking me, do you have something to fix this? And we end up finding out after asking the growers, where'd you get your stuff? And then they would mention, oh, this person mixed that. Everyone gets the same stuff. And that's the reason why it's throughout. But again, all they're looking to do, because uh, especially if you're growing outdoors, you have a certain amount of time. And in that time, you got to go ahead and give it all she's got. And you're trying to go ahead and produce the volume that you can. And if all of a sudden you get a powdery mildew bloom, you got to deal with that as quickly as possible, because that is your money for the year. And that is your money going forward towards your next grow. So you got to handle that stuff, because if at the end you end up with problematic product, it's going to be more difficult to liquidate sell to your buyers. No one's going to be wanting anything with PM all over it. So then you'd have to take a cut in pay on your product and then have it blown into an oil. And again, one thing cascades into the next, into the next, into the next. And that's the reason why we did all the research to tell our clients, 
you got to start out with the appropriate substrates that have the certificates of analysis so you don't end up with these issues later on down the road. And it seems where you're going with this is very, very disturbing. And one of the things that has been a result of the problems with these substrates, and, and like you said, the cannabis plant seems to absorb everything even more than other crops might. I mean, it's a remedial plant, so it's almost cleansing soil as it goes. But when you say that you want to treat the inputs before the plant germinates or flowers, is, isn't the contaminated soil, whatever's been treated or whatever has been used to treat the soil, isn't that going to remain in the soil? And isn't it going to become part of the plant even if the soil or the atmosphere around it has been treated with pesticides or even fungicides before the plant is producing flower, how do you get around that? I mean, how can the soil be cleaned in order not to cause these problems down the road when the flowers are actually blooming? Good question. The key with the MJ space, cannabis space, do no harm to the plant, to the soil, to your patients, to anything. So when I'm talking about a situation like Fusarium outbreak or Pythium outbreak, what you're dealing with can be something as simple as using clove oil or hydrogen peroxide, something that is not going to be toxic to the end patient. The problem is when you're finding these insecticides and fungicides that have these ingredients that have multiple names that are multiple letters that you cannot possibly identify. You're not talking about eucalyptus oil. You're not talking about clove oil. You're not talking about oregano oil. You're talking about a broken down chemical chain formulation so that a company has a patent on it that they're then selling to you that will handle the problem, but you're ending up contaminating the soil. And because this is an absorptive plant, the plant is going to then uptake it through the roots, uptake it through the leaves, and it'll be endemic within the plant itself. So the key to, to everything is knowing what your inputs are made from, making sure that those components are organic components that can be easily broken down into the soil that will not contaminate or harm your soil and make sure that it's not going to be something that when present with the plant is going to create issues later on when you're in flower your buds are open they're it, it's very susceptible to moisture you can't have uh, overhead spraying because of that fact Growers know this. They, they, they know what you can, what you can't do if they've been in the game for a long time. New guys uh, that have been transitioning because all of a sudden this is the new golden investment, golden business opportunity, whatever, um, they don't know. They are new to the game. They don't understand the ins and the outs of organic growing because they've been uh, sold a, a three-part system. You buy XYZ product from company, uh, that is owned by uh, some of the big giants like Scott or Monsanto or whatever. And they'll give you a super simple way of doing it. And they do it that way. And I'm not going to knock anybody's 
grow process or how they do what they do, their formulations, that's great. Everyone is entitled to grow whichever way they want. I'm not the only way to grow. I just feel that when I've gotten the results back, when people have had the taste test, the side-by-side, Pepsi challenge, as it were, they gravitate toward the organic. More flavor, more nose, more of the medical benefits that you're looking for, the trichome production, the uh, potential for healing. That's what I am used to getting when I'm working with my clients and they're using those kinds of inputs because they are conscious of what they're making because they do realize this could be for themselves. This could be for their kids, for their grandkids, for their family members, for their friends. And they're not as likely to go ahead and make toxic stuff and pass it on. If you get my meaning. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, the truth is that a lot of these toxins and pathogens are also found in our general food supply on a regular basis and Roundup Ready corn and BT cotton and, you know, we're exposed to all of these chemicals on a regular basis, I think, and the public has been sort of kept in the dark. But the one thing about the cannabis industry is that it is being grown mainly for medicine and in the absence of regulation, the industry has had to sort of figure out how to regulate itself. And a lot of these problems have been a trial and error type of thing. And so, you know, obviously there's a learning curve, like you said, for people who are just getting into the business. But I find it really disturbing that the public really hasn't been made aware yet what to ask for when they're looking for their products and they see a certificate of analysis and it looks like it's clean from heavy metals and it's clean from certain pathogens, but they're not always tested for fungus or other types of injurious ingredients that could really harm people. And case in point would be the vaping issue, right? So, I've heard reports that fungicide has been found in vaping products that are related to some of the victims of the the contaminated vape products. Can you explain a little bit about that? Uh, I'd be happy to. Um, First off, the plant is medicine, God created, and exactly particular to our well-being, as well as animals' well-being. The inputs that you're growing or that you're, that you're using to grow your plants are what are creating the issues. So when you're talking about the vaping industry, vaping is just the delivery system. To me, the vapes are fine. What ends up being the The problem, the Frankenstein, is when you have product that is being produced as medicine that has issues because of the contaminated inputs that then cannot be sold as a flowered product is then reduced down to an oil because the grower had to address the problem. So if he addressed the powdery mildew, he addressed it with a product that was a fungicide 
to eliminate that to try to solve the problem, but he still ends up with fungus and then the fungicide on the flowers. He can't sell it on the market. No one will buy it. You take it to a laboratory. They look at, look at it under a loop, uh, a microscope, and you can see the fungus. And the guy says, sorry, but no, cannot give you a certificate. So what ends up happening? That grower is then forced to reduce that flower down to an oil. Now, when you're reducing the volume of material down into an oil, you now have a concentrated version of the trichomes, the oils from the plant, a concentrated version of the fungicide that was sprayed on there, and a concentrated version of the mold that the fungicide was supposed to be killing, all into a nice little capsule. You now place this capsule into your vape pen. You're now adding a heating element that is now activating this toxic brew, which is brew, and then you're taking it directly into your lungs. Now, the reason why that is relevant is because if you were putting a lotion on your skin, at least it has to go through the skin in order to be absorbed into your bloodstream. And that first level of protection is what is important. If you're ingesting something, okay, well, you take a gummy and you eat it, it goes into your uh, upper and lower GI before it's absorbed into your bloodstream and the acids will go ahead and dissolve it. If you're taking a vape pull or a hit off of a vape pen, it's going directly into your lungs and having an, uh, a, a, an exchange with the alveoli in your lungs. And that goes directly into the blood system. So there is no buffer. You're taking a straight shot. You may as well just shoot it straight up intravenous, intravenously into your, into your vein. It's about the same. And when you're putting this heating element on the, this, this witch's brew, what has been found is uh, hydrogen cyanide is released. Hydrogen cyanide on the inside of your lungs uh, does a great deal of damage. Um, you're talking about uh, chemical burns. Uh, you're talking about cyanide is a poison. So depending on the concentration, depending on how many hits you're taking, etc., you're going to then suffer the consequences of what this grower put on his plants, grew his plants with, and then reduce it down into a concentrated form that is hitting you a hundred times harder than if you would have smoked it as a flower. Does that make sense? Uh Dear God, yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it really narrows it down to poison. The CDC has actually named vitamin E oil as one of the problems with these vape products that are, are killing people. But it seems to me like the issue is just so much more dangerous than you would think vitamin E could be. Why do you think that this isn't front page news? I believe that there is an ongoing desire to take the upstart vape companies and put them out of business. There is within the community, and I know guys that own vape companies that make vape juice, that are doing it right, that do ISO 9001 productions, 
that are doing everything correct as it should be, as you would treat anything with batch numbers where you can go ahead and verify every component all the way back to when it was originally made. And they have the records to go ahead and keep all of that. So when you have companies that are doing that, that are doing the right things, yet they're being brushed with the same brush as everybody else that is doing less than quality components in their products, yeah, that might be where some of the vitamin E parts come out where they're saying, oh, well, they put this or that, or they ran this component. They were selling, uh, uh, I don't know, citric type component within their formulation. And that citric type component is creating an acidic response with some of the other parts of the vape pens. There's a lot of things. There are companies that are doing it right. There are companies that are not doing it right. There's stuff out there that's bootleg. There's stuff out there that is ISO 9001. The fact that you'd have the entire industry attacked or everybody is thrown under the bus, to me, makes it sound a little bit sketchy. The fact that they're saying, oh, it's the vitamin E, I don't buy it because I know guys that own the companies and they tell me what's going on and they say it's an unholy matrimony between the pharmaceutical groups and the big tobacco groups to put these guys out. They want them gone. And the ones that have financial capabilities will survive to an extent, but for the most part, they're cleaning everybody's clock. Is it a hatchet job? I don't know. Are they looking out for the best interest of the population? I sure hope so. Yeah, it, it sounds a bit sinister. But, you know, also I think the whole problem is just so daunting. It's hard to sort of encapsulate all of this information into just one simple solution or one simple problem that needs to be addressed. And, you know, a direction to send the CDC that doesn't involve the complexities of these huge lobby groups that have been vying to keep cannabis illegal for a long time in general. <laughs> the, the one conspiracy theory that I think holds water, like no matter how you look at it, it you know, since 1937, cannabis has been victimized by it. And while it might be these big industries trying to keep the cannabis industry from achieving its full success that it deserves. The cannabis industry is never going away from this point forward because the cat's out of the bag and you just can't put it back in. So now it boils down to how can the industry protect itself from ridicule and protect its products so that it's not doing any harm to patients and protect its investment in the crops so that things aren't lost. I mean, what is, what's the takeaway message for people who are growing cannabis for medical purposes so that they can now protect themselves from these issues? I mean, you know, is it a matter of just testing substrates before they plant their seeds? I mean, it, it seems like there's got to be a pathway for safety and success all in one. 
Oh yeah, there is. And as I see it, it boils down to basic common sense and knowing what, what is in the components that you're, you're putting into your, into your plants. So is it the, is it the grower's responsibility? Yes. If he's making the plant medicine, if he's going to be responsible for that, going into uh, lotions, potions, uh, bait cartridges, you, 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 you better believe it's his responsibility. Now, should he test everything? Yes, to make sure. But again, every grower in my experience, has always, has always seen a PM bloom in their room or uh, insects that pop up uh, that you, you didn't bring them in. How did they get there? They piggybacked on whatever it was that you were using. Spider mites are always the favorite amongst the growers because they have uh, impenetrable uh, eggs literally they call them they're, they're diamond proof you couldn't cut them with a diamond that's how hard these things are to kill and when you end up with these blooms yeah you have to deal with with things but again as a grower it is your responsibility this industry is a nascent industry just starting out if you don't want it taken back from you then it behooves you to make sure that what you're producing and what everyone else around you is producing is quality medicine that can be justified all the way through. So you are having to go ahead and make sure that every part of what you're doing can be verified. And then on top of that, COA is the boot. So yeah, is it gonna take more money? Absolutely. However, if you're in this to win this, don't give them the opportunity to come to your house and kick down your door and put you in jail and take your business because they are itching to do so and put it all into the hands of big corporations and big pharmaceutical companies, etc. They are dying to do that because now they have an excuse. People are dying. And they can go ahead and blame however way they're going to blame it. They're just going to throw it at, the, I mean, literally like throwing spaghetti at a wall, see what sticks whatever the, the populace is going to go with. And when you're hearing about some of these insiders at these companies that are doing the whistleblowing on these companies that are trading on the Canadian stock exchange that are selling contaminated products to foreign countries. And then this surprise when they're busted selling contaminated products to another country and you wonder why, because at the end of the day, you wouldn't grow that and give it to your grandma. You wouldn't grow that and give it to your sister who has cancer. You wouldn't grow that and give it to your daughter or your son who's dealing with seizures. You wouldn't grow the contaminated product and give it to them. Why would you do it to anybody else? Well, and here's another thing too. I mean, this relates to our overall food supply. And you've got companies like Monsanto that are creating plants to exist and thrive being treated with glyphosate or Roundup, for example. And they're giving the food that they're producing to 
the livestock that is later being sold as meat and they're giving the grain to foreign countries to solve the hunger problem and in the meanwhile they're causing other problems you know an uptick in cancers and autism and and diseases that scientists are now connecting back to these chemicals that are sprayed in these wide swaths of land not to mention the contamination of our water tables which is a whole other problem and the government's not doing anything to protect us and all we can do is just learn about it and then go protect ourselves by growing things that are certified organic but even that is not protecting us 100% from all of these pathogens that and toxins and chemicals that are being used to grow mass quantities of crops and so it it stands to reason that the larger the company producing medical cannabis they want to maximize their yields and use some of the same agricultural practices. I mean, it, it seems as though we need some major legislation. The Food Act actually barred adulterated food. And if you consider the food that's been genetically modified to grow without weeds growing next to them, then that seems to me like it's adulteration of food. But for some reason, producers of genetically modified foods were exempted from that act. And also something I heard, and you might know something about this, there's this common practice of using glyphosate, which is the main ingredient of Roundup, to dry cannabis plants. Do you know where this is happening and how this can be called out for what it is? Well, glyphosate is a desiccant, so it dries out products. And have I heard about it? Yes. Uh, where it was, British Columbia, Canada, and what were they were doing with the products after they uh, dried them out and they were then processing them and making them into whatever, whether it's vapes or whether it's creams or lotions or potions or whatever, can't say because magically it disappears into uh, you know the black hole of forgetfulness where everyone doesn't want to talk about those bad things because it doesn't make you feel safe when you're eating or when you're going out for uh, a nice dinner with your friends with your family etc so what can be done wow um, I'll put it this way the cannabis industry is a microcosm of the bigger ag industry so all the care and warts and nastiness that you're seeing on the cannabis market in the cannabis market in this space right now is what is existent in the food production space and if you mention uh, certain groups let's say you're making a claim against the cattle industry they'll serve you with an injunction and uh, you're a terrorist for mentioning it if it's against the dairy guys, same thing. You're now a economic terrorist because you're questioning the powers that be and what they're doing. But I mean, when you get a gallon of milk, do you really realize that that gallon has the milk of over 500 cows in it? Wow. Okay. Not one cow, 500. So can we do much about that? But it can't. Aside from going vegan? Uh, even if you're going vegan, uh, yeah. you're growing food. Is it a certified place? Are they using certified ingredients? Because, uh, yeah, I have friends of mine that they have just debilitating issues for no apparent reason other than 
the food that they're eating. And a lot of these folks are vegans, they're vegetarians, and they still have these incredible health issues. And the one common denominator always seems to be what they're eating, what they ingest. So, you know, is it the food? Are there gram-negative bacteria inherent? Are there pathogens? Are there molds? Are all these kinds of things out there? Sure, I've seen them. What to do about them? I recommend people grow their own food, that neighborhoods grow their own food, have food forests. You have all these schools and all these churches all over the place and they have these wonderful green grass lawns that nobody plays on anymore. Why don't you put together a food forest? Why don't they feed them with organic nutrients? And then they do farmer's markets and the communities themselves, as opposed to having the expectation that the government is gonna solve your problems man, get together as a community, get together as a neighborhood, get together as a church, as a, as a whatever, and do it yourself because they're not going to solve these problems. So do you drink the water out of the tap? No. You run it through a charcoal filter, you run it through reverse osmosis, and then you got water that's at least clean to start with. If you don't want the contaminants, if you don't want the chlorine, the fluoramine, if you don't want all of that, plus all the pathogens and any, anything else that's in there, clean your water. Provide an RO system for you and your neighbors to go ahead and pull water off of. If you don't want the contaminated vegetables and fruits, great. Do a community garden. Make sure that the components that they're throwing into the soils aren't going to go ahead and poison you. Real simple. Again, once upon a time, there was this thing called community within our country. They'd have these victory gardens. Everybody had a victory garden at their house. They would grow their own stuff. The guy that grew the lemons that were great would trade with the guy that grew tomatoes. And that guy was trading with the lady that was growing cucumbers or peppers, who was then trading with the person that was growing peaches. Is it so crazy? I think that you're bringing up a very beautiful concept. And, you know, we've seen some slow food movements throughout the country where they're setting up school gardens and you know, teaching people to appreciate where their food comes from and to grow it organically. And, you know, these things are cropping up, but they're not really that common in the cities or in the suburbs, you know, where you've got a grocery store on every corner and you can just go in and buy your processed food. It's a lot more convenient to do that than it is to sacrifice the time and energy and coordination and I think that with cannabis, it's a lot more complex because it's illegal to grow cannabis unless you live in a state that allows you to grow it yourself. And then, of course, if you want to create a medicine that's something other than smoking it like a cigarette, which you don't want to give a five-year-old with epilepsy a cigarette, then you know it's a matter of having your own laboratory, which is cost prohibitive. And I mean, there are all kinds of reasons why this is a it's it's a beautiful concept but it's impractical or impossible for some just simply because of the laws and or financial constraints so i i agree with you but at the at the end of the day where there's a will there's a way oh i agree and i work with a group called enrich la 60 schools all across los angeles putting in gardens i donate fertilizer to the guys they use organic fertilizer so the kids growing the stuff can actually have something that's going to be impressive, that they will say, wow, I grew this. And could it be done on a larger scale? Sure. 
if the community got behind it, if the people that were part of the school boards got behind it, if there was more interest, sure, can be done. I agree with you that it can be done and it is being done in, in certain areas and successfully. But what about cannabis? And okay, going back to like the vape issue. If you have one guy that you know that grows great weed, make sure that you keep helping him grow great weed. Make sure that he keeps the business because that's really what all this is boiling down to. When you get one guy that is undercutting the next guy who's undercutting the next guy that's slashing the last guy's throat and making no money, well, then you deserve what you get. Because if the guy that is growing the good stuff, those components that he's putting into that good stuff are not cheap and not free. The guy that is growing the crappiest of the crap, yeah, he's going to get you a better deal, but it's also going to be reflective in the products and the medicine that he's making. So... If you, again, I, I know people, I, I know one person in particular, she doesn't grow a lot. She has her plants. She t- tends to them very, very well. She's picked up clones from me in the past. She's bought fertilizer from me in the past. And what does she do? She reduces it down into her oils. She makes her tinctures. She makes her uh, body salves, you know, lotions, potions, all of that. And it's the most effective medicine that I've ever seen. It works. That's the difference between that and the garbage you buy at the dispensary. God, they just did a deal on Amazon. I believe it was Dr. Mercola. And they were buying all these CBD products off of Amazon.com. And all of them had zero CBD. So, you know, if it's too good to be true, guess what it is? Does it have... What, there, was a, there was a phrase when I used to be in the gold and the silver business, buying and selling bricks and bars and coins. Nice stuff isn't cheap, and cheap stuff isn't nice. And that should be, to a great extent, what you're thinking about when you're buying your medicine from somebody who is putting the love into making that the happiest plant possible, or somebody who's going to be using the cheapest stuff available that has got more toxins in it because it's cheaper so we can make more money. That's how I see it. Yeah. And then it would seem that there would be a place though for regulation to insist that we go back to these basics and prohibiting the toxic practices that are triggering all of these autoimmune diseases and neurological diseases and cancer and Right now, we're living in this environment where these shortcuts are being championed by government subsidies and, you know, the law looking away from the culpability of these companies for causing all of these problems. I mean, you know, the pharmaceuticals have gotten away for years with the veritable genocide and are now only coming home to roost with some private lawsuits that are benefiting a few people who signed on for class actions. But for the rest of us, you know, doctors are still prescribing these drugs that are killing people, you know, from opiates to benzodiazepines to Tylenol. And it it seems as though our country needs to, A, come together, as you said, and start building community 
food sources and supporting local farmers and, and supporting those who are doing things the right way, buying organic products, really knowing their medicine if they're buying cannabis and supporting those who are doing it right. Check out the certificates of analysis. But it, it seems as though we also need to consider this back to basic strategy to decontaminate our food supply with legislation. I mean, am I far off with that? I believe that your laser beam focused on exactly what needs to be done. However, you mentioned earlier, there is a phalanx of lobbyists that are keen to block whatever we feel would be the right thing to do. Because again, it, it still boils down to what's the right thing to do. I'm in the industry. Uh, I found out about three months ago that my sister has leukemia. What did I do? Made a couple of phone calls to people that I know to make sure that I have what I need to give her. I don't have to worry about the certificates of analysis. They're there. I don't have to worry about the medicines that they're producing. I know what's in it. I know how it's grown. I am unique to the industry because I'm a manufacturer of inputs. I test everything. I know what people are putting into their stuff. And that gives me a, an advantage with my sister, able to make sure that she has something for what her condition is requiring. The average person out there doesn't have it. If you have a child that has seizures, well, you're moving to Colorado in order to get the medicine that you need because your state may or may not allow it. That is legislative. And that is the lobbyists that are putting the screws to the politicians so that they vote the way they want them to vote. So that people will continue to look the other way and not zero in on the problem. Problem is contaminated water, contaminated food, contaminated medicines, contaminated substrates. How do you resolve that? Throw a couple of people in jail. Make sure that they're high on the food chain, not the lower level, you know, Mickey Mouse pencil pushers. Is that going to happen? <laughs> well, also I I make sure that it's not the end grower. You know, the the you know, it, it really would need to be the higher ups. But unfortunately, a lot of those issues are taken care of with, you know, a check and a pen. Um, look at Purdue <laughs> or, or these companies that are being sued for killing hundreds of thousands of people with drugs that they knew were dangerous and addictive. Sure. They write a check and it's like a, a drop in the bucket. It's not impacting them. It's like you think you think about the revenue generated from some of the products that they're producing. So if you're talking about having to write a check for, you know, a million bucks when you made a billion dollars, that's a pretty good deal. And to a large extent, that's what you see happening. Yeah, drop in the bucket. Um, it's nothing. So at the end of the day, I still would advocate for the personal responsibility on what you're putting into yourself, on what you're putting into the bodies of your kids. If somebody's telling you, threatening you that you have to have your kids vaccinated, because I've seen what happens to kids afterward. All of a sudden, they have traumatic impact on their lives, on their personalities, on what's happening with their development. Suddenly, their immune systems are compromised. Is there something in the injection that they're giving them? I believe so. I believe the research has shown it. 
And again, they want to go ahead and brush that under the carpet and not talk about it anymore, make it go away and start talking about something else. That's the problem. But again, it's all about making sure you know what's on the certificate of analysis. You know, if you're reading on an injection that they're telling you, you got to give your kids mercury, arsenic, lead, or cadmium, those are heavy, heavy metals that have issues and problems when taken directly into a person's body. Fusarium pythium to a grower, you know what that does to your plants. It, it, it isn't a mystery. We know what powdery mildew is. We know what that does. You know how to deal with it. And there's a couple of different ways to deal with it. Some people that don't know should ask. But again, when you're considering it as the pirate mentality of take what you can steal and give nothing back and don't help anybody, it's all about you, 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 then you miss the boat. This is God-given medicine. How you grow it is going to go ahead and reflect in the product that is the ultimate outcome. And what that medicine is for is for family members, kids, grandkids, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, in dealing with their issues and their challenges. And in my opinion, it's up to the grower. It's up to the industry to self-police. If you find somebody doing something sketchy or something dodgy, get in their face, do something. Yeah, blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that would be a good thing to do. No one knows what really is inside of a pill that is prescribed by a doctor because there is no transparency. And with the vaccinations, they're using unsafe plant material to bind the pathogens that are being injected. And, you know, sure, it might sound great that this is the way it's supposed to work and vaccines are good to prevent disease. But what's happening is sometimes there are historical accounts of pathogens being live and actually causing more harm than they do any good. And, you know, like swine flu vaccines 20 years ago or polio vaccines 50 or 60 years ago that were pathogens that should have prevented disease but instead caused it and a lot of people suffered. And that information never came out until decades later. And you're seeing a lot of the problems with autism are not necessarily related to the pathogens that are inside these vaccinations. The problems are coming from ingredients that are inherent to the plants that are being grown to create the serums that are being used to carry these pathogens into the bloodstream. And they contain glyphosate or they contain some other toxic chemical or mold. And it's a matter of transparency. So <laughs> yeah, we have to take responsibility for that. But you're having these state, regional, and even in some cases, federal laws saying, well, you cannot fail to vaccinate your child because we will throw you in jail. And it's really quite a shame, but it's a matter of educating the public, I would think, to let people know that, hey, you've got to start demanding more transparency, just as you have to take responsibility for what cannabis you're going to select to consume or what inputs you're going to purchase in order to grow cannabis. Those are questions that need to be asked, but there's a lot more transparency to be able to do that in the cannabis industry than there is for a 
you know, a patient who's getting a prescription from their doctor to be able to demand a certificate of analysis from a pharmaceutical company because they'll never get it. <laughs> it's a huge problem, isn't it? I see that. And I think that what Americans need to really do is push back. If you're not happy with the legislation that they're trying to cram in your throat, vote the bums out. If you're running into situations that are prohibiting kids that are having 500 seizures a day from getting the medicine that they need in order to have normal lives, go out and protest. Protest the right reasons. That would be one. Protest the fact that you have contamination of your food supply. And then do something about it. Grow locally. Again, we can sit and pontificate all day long, but it's the action. It's what we do that is going to define our persons. What are we doing about it? You're hosting a show, getting the information out to the folks out there that have the ears to hear the message. Now it's up to them. Get busy in your community. Get something started. Because guess what? Everyone feels like crap. Every third person has cancer. It's getting to the point where, yeah, this is an epidemic. And they keep telling us it's normal. Guess what? It's not. It really isn't a normal condition. The human condition is not one that at 50 we drop dead from cancer. Yet, that is what I'm hearing. People that aren't there to go ahead and open their eyes to it, people that don't want to do something about it within their own community, well, they're part of the problem, as I see it. Yeah. Well, in this upcoming election season, a lot of these issues are not something that we should be digging in our heels on partisanship or tribalism or anything else. These are human issues, and we need to examine candidates on both sides of the aisle and really get to the bottom of where they stand. Are they protecting human interests or are they protecting their campaign donors? And make decisions based on that. It's your own livelihood, folks. It's your health. It's our country and our government should be protecting us from harm as opposed to protecting those who do harm. And so you're absolutely right. We need to get involved. We need to call our representatives, demand action, no matter you know, what political persuasion they are, and say, you know, we demand that you stop protecting these companies that are poisoning our children and our water and our environment and making it impossible for us to get medicine. And yeah, so you raise some really, really good points. I'm getting a signal that it is time for us to start wrapping it up, but I really appreciate your insights so much, and I hope that people can glean some ideas on how they can begin to protect themselves, and I know for sure that you've got some really great ideas for growers. The thing that everybody should be cognizant of is what you put in is what you're going to get out of whatever you're growing. So the treat your soil, if you're using soil, like the treasure that it is. Contamination, putting toxins, poisons, running it down the sink or down the toilet or down the drain, it's going to end up someplace. And what that's going to do for our country is it's going to impact the rivers, the streams, the 
lakes. So stop making it everybody else's problem. Own it. Make a difference. Do what you can, however small that it may be, to help the next generation, teach the next generation how to grow food, raise vegetables, grow fruits. Compart with your neighbors. Raise the vibration of what we have in this country from being an isolated me, 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 me generation to the we, all of us, so that they'll be looking at the United States at this pivotal moment in our history saying, this is where the turning point took place. This is where things changed for the betterment of the people of this country. They're all looking for the same basic thing, clean food, clean water, safe environment for themselves to grow in, to raise their kids in, and to be in that place where you can Go for the American dream and try to gain as much joy and happiness out of your life as you possibly can. Time to wake up. Yeah, and the time is now and it's urgent. I mean, we're getting to the point right now with the the way that the things that we consume are produced on a mass scale are basically going to annihilate the human race eventually. And I hate to sound alarmist about it, but it's the absolute truth. And it's also, you know, the way we handle our natural resources and everything else is aligned with how we're handling our food supply and our medical supply. And, you know, cannabis can serve as a metaphor for how we can do things right, how we can ask questions, how we can uh, be conscious of what we are producing and what we are consuming. And wow. Well, you have definitely given us a lot of food for thought. So I just have to say thank you so much, Dino. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Snowden. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, like all good things, another episode must come to a close. I'd like to personally thank my guest, Dino Changanaki, for sharing his insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work he's doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode, and there you will find his bio along with a link to his website. We have so many people to thank. First, I'd like to thank our radio partners, Canisphere Biotech and Blue Mountain Energy for supporting our show. I'd also like to thank our team here at the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show for always making us shine. And of course, it goes without saying how much we appreciate our programming directors at XRQK Radio Network and Society Bites Radio for distributing our show. And last, but certainly not least, Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join us again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is cold.